0: All right, a couple quick logistics. Make sure you filled out the halfway survey. We got almost two thirds of the co- cohort completed that. Great stuff. Appreciate that. Helps us. Helps us help you. Uh, keep an eye on your Twitter DMs for some more captain's table invites. We sent a handful. Um, awesome to see so many of you already hopping aboard, ready to keep this ship sailing. Next live call is Tuesday, and that is the last teaching session of the cohort, besides the Saturday cel- or the Sunday celebration call the week after. Um, next Tuesday is all about credibility, positioning, rewriting your bio. You're going to have 30 data points. What do you say that you write about now? So that's always a fun one. Yeah. All right, badge leaderboard. Good stuff to the 24% who have collected every single badge. Someone was asking, what is that view on the left there? That is our internal view where we can see everyone's names ranked by badge. So we always know who's performing, who's crushing it. It's amazing what this cohort has done. Great stuff. Let's fly through these names. Good job, everyone. That's a good-looking badge count right there. That is a good-looking badge count. Look at how how far you've
1: come. right? Every cohort always flies by, and I'm always astounded at how
0: short it feels. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. I think today is day day 22, I'm pretty sure, day day 22. I've lost count, but I haven't published today, and it's the first day I haven't published in the morning, so I got a little bit of catch-up to do, but- Good stuff to everyone on this list. Amazing job. You guys have been finding the badge tracker helpful in knowing where you're at, where you're able to check in on your circle profile and the printable. So, you know, coming into the call, whether you have everything. I think that was a new addition this cohort. It looks like it's helping a lot. Good job. Good oh, job. Put that together. Nice job. Day 22. That's right. Day 22 of pasta for dinner. Hey, sometimes <laughs> you need the routine. I'm a routine guy too. I'm a routine guy as well. Oh, amazing! Nice job. Oh, if you it's all right, Trey. You'll get. You'll be back on a Tuesday. Don't worry about it. There's always time. Just yep. don't miss twice. That's what we always say. Just
1: don't miss twice. Mhm. Mhm.
0: All right. Good stuff. Great job, everyone. Great job. Great job. All right. Let's keep rocking. Welcome to the captain's table, everyone on this list who has accepted their invitation. Amazing job. So awesome. We had a call. We had our first master, or not first, but we had a mastermind call yesterday. Had a bunch of people already on that. Double teaming, doing both Ship 30, diving into the captain's table at the same time. Definitely can. Good stuff to everyone. Welcome aboard. And I'm sure we'll have a handful more joining us throughout. Yeah, and
1: if you uh, were on the call yesterday, or if you've, you've started to see the captain's table stuff come out, one of the big things that we do in the captain's table is we do these mastermind calls. Uh, this is where Dickie and I share a, a lot of our unfiltered, you know, this is what we're thinking through right now. Um, where I ship 30 and other things that we write about is a little bit more geared toward this is proven. This is stuff we've already done. Um, cap and stable masterminds are a bit more, uh, these are the things we're experimenting with right now. So if you want to stay on the cutting edge of all the digital writing strategies and techniques and mental models, that's the, those are great calls to get to be part of.
0: Yes, sir. Also, welcome, Jess, to the executive captain's table. Lifetime or five years of everything Cole and I create. Amazing job. Welcome, Jess. It's awesome to have you. You can do one-on-one call with us as well. It's going to be fun.
1: Way to be, Jess. So happy.
0: All right, a right. couple so shout-outs.
1: Go ahead. Just some cool, some cool things. I mean, A, again, huge benefit of writing and publishing in public. One of my favorite authors retweeted my first ever thread. Right. You you don't expect those things. Uh, Dickie, you had this happen with uh, Tim Ferriss early on,
0: too, didn't you? Yeah, no, he put uh, he put me in five bullet Friday it was and that accelerated me a ton. Yeah,
1: I remember when that happened. Dickie sent me a text being like, I can die a happy man, like <laughs> life, life goal achieved. So you never know what could happen. Um, this one is great. Every time I talk with people, I find topics I can write about. Once your brain internalizes the endless idea generator concept, you can't turn it off. I'm it's like, I now have a a mental problem in every conversation I have. I'm like, that's an article. That's a, that's a thread. That's an atomic essay. That's a product, right? It just, you see it everywhere. So, one of the big benefits of going through and internalizing all this thinking is you go from, I don't know what to write about to, oh my gosh, I see so many opportunities everywhere that I just want to then tell other people about opportunities because I don't have the time to do them all. So, it's an amazing byproduct. This one's awesome. Day 20, and my biggest win is learning to create anew as I run out of my comfort zone ideas. So, this is one of those interesting things. We don't talk about this a ton in Chip 30, where a lot of people start writing. And they've got all this confidence. They've got all these ideas. And then after like 10 days, they're like, I feel like I said everything I wanted to say. And all of a sudden, you kind of realize that your well of inspiration was always just like, oh, I have these handful of ideas that I think are really cool. And I've thought about them forever. And then you write them and then you're like, wait, I don't have the skill yet of creating new ideas over and over and over again. And so one of the benefits of going through something like this is that you do build the skill where when you run out of all the things that you've already said, you're like, well, now what do I say, right? That's the whole game of being a digital writer or a creator. So I love seeing stuff like this. That's the embracing of getting outside of your comfort zone. And then here wrote an essay on John Abraham, an actor with 3.3 million followers, and he retweeted it. So how would you ever know that this would happen, A... Would this ever happen on your blog? No. Right? Why why does that even happen in the first place? Because you went out and you did the hard work of curating valuable information and the person goes, "Hey, this was really valuable. Thanks for going out and doing the work. You just saved me 10 hours." I would love to share that. Right? So it's it's actually not that complicated. So when people see things like this happen, it's really cool, but if you understand what's happening under the hood, it's like, oh, yeah, person went out, they did the work, it was valuable, and people wanted to share it. It's really simple.
0: All right, where we are on tracker and calendar, this says day 21. Good stuff. A couple more to go. If you still riding at this point, you're making it to the end. You've passed the dip, you've stormed through it. Today, you can get your analytics guru badge, analytics guru, correct, right? Uh, after this live session and uh, that'll put us with only three badges to go from there to get to all 20. To claim your badge, you will just comment on this live session with your most engaged topic so far based on likes and or comments. We will talk about the difference and then also read the deep dive for how you can take one data point, double down on it, and this will help you internalize the idea that once you write about something that goes viral, has success, that is the first time, not the last time you write about it.
1: Yeah, this is a really great uh, deep dive. We're gonna do explain some of it live today, but this deep dive is personally it's my favorite one that we have because it really shows you how you can take one idea and all of a sudden extrapolate a hundred other ideas from one. And once you start to understand this concept, like. This is the foundation of, I want to write a book. I want to create a product. I want to launch a course. All of those things are just taking one small data point and expanding them. So that's what we're going to dig into here in the analytics session. So to give you a sense of what we're going to go through, first, we're going to talk through the different engagement metrics that are worth paying attention to, both externally, the objective ones, you know, hey, these are the things that matter, And then also like, how do you feel about it? You know, because the answer isn't, okay, just write what works, because if you only write what works or what gets attention, you might end up, you know, six months later being like, well, I kind of feel like I'm just down the BuzzFeed rabbit hole and I'm not doing things that are fulfilling for me. Conversely, if you only do what you want to do and you have no... You know, you're know, you not connected to the reader's wants and needs at all, well, then no one's going to read your stuff, right? So you have to find this middle ground of what's working for the reader and what's working for you. So that's what we're going to dig into on the analytics side. And then part two is what I was just talking about from the deep dive, where we're going to explain, okay, when you see something working, when you have a data point that says this is something that the reader likes, and this is something that you like, how do you do that over and over and over and over and over again? So we're going to give you a framework for doing that.
0: Yep. All right. So the big POV here, so this is actually 21 days. We switched the order of this. You've made noise for 21 days, right? You've generated a lot of data, both from the market, from yourself. You've probably explored some topics that you didn't know you'd write about. You probably doubled down on some that were working. And now it's time to say, what do I do with all this? The We talked about this on the very first call, but the idea that you compressed a year's worth of writing down into 21 days. For a lot of people, it takes half a year to publish 21 things, right? But you made some small bets of actually putting data points out there where now you're going to be able to analyze them. So, Cole, what do you think about this idea that any signal that comes to you is a good signal? This this is
1: something that took me a really long time to learn, especially because in the beginning, you have a lot of fear, you know, it's very common for writers when they're first starting out or before they even get started, there's the fear of what if I write something that other people don't like? What if someone like, comments something negative? What if someone disagrees with me? Or what if, as Dickie calls it, you know, I get the crickets of indifference. What if, What if nobody cares at all? Right? And what took me a while to understand is that all of those signals are positive signals. Because what they're doing is they're trying to tell you, hey, for whatever reason, this thing that you just wrote, this is the response, okay? You have access to hundreds of millions of readers on Twitter, hundreds of millions of readers on LinkedIn. You wrote something and either nobody cared, nobody read it, someone disagreed with you, somebody didn't like it. Either way, you learned something. And so what you have to kind of reorient your mind around is that every time you hit publish, you have an opportunity to get one step closer to what is working for the reader, right? And if you publish 21 times and none of those are getting you the the external result, result that you're looking for, that is still trying to tell you something that's telling you, Hey, for whatever reason, you still haven't found it yet. Right. And there, it's not some big magical difference of like someone else knows something you don't. And, you know, we talk about all the time, like you can't blame the reader, right. You can't sit there and be like, well, I'm really smart. And the reader doesn't get it. Right. You have to sit there and question, okay, why is, why is this not working the way that I want it to work?
0: It's all about crushing your ego, right? If you can come into everything you write with, Hey, I don't care how this goes, if it works, if it doesn't work, I'm going to interpret it objectively. I think that goes further than just writing, but it's a very powerful mindset to have for this.
1: Yeah. So we're going to give you a lens here. Okay. And the lens is how to look at your writing through a purely objective, non-emotional way of assessing what is working and what's not. So here's an example of two different uh, threads I wrote on Twitter. Okay, and it's important to when when something is working or not working. It's really important to not go down the rabbit hole of, well, no one liked this, and that means I'm a terrible writer, and I'm I must have nothing valuable to say, and I should just give up, right? Like it it becomes a very emotional inner dialogue very quickly. The key is to not go down the emotional rabbit hole, and instead look at things very objectively. So let's look at these two threads, okay? The one on the left, I have my expert credibility. Over the past 10 years, I have read 500 business books, okay? On the right, not my credibility. In 2017, Harvard Business Review published an article titled, Why Business Leaders Need to Read More Science Fiction. So one on the left, my credibility. One on the right, Harvard Business Review's credibility. Difference. Okay, variable difference. The one on the left, strong opinion. 99% of the books that I read were a waste of time, giant waste of time. Strong opinion. The one on the right, not strong opinion. It's just like, hey, people say that you should read more science fiction. Right. Difference, two different variables. Okay. so as we start going down the list and we can get really tactical with it, right? The one on the left, I said, here's 10 books you should read. The one on the right, here's eight books you should read. Is the difference between eight and 10 that meaningful? Probably not. But is it worth acknowledging that it's a difference? Sure, right? So, so much of the the whole game of writing on the internet is looking at your writing side by side, pulling up five different things that you wrote and going, what are the differences? And when this one worked, why did this one work more than this one? okay and so for me the one the thread on the left here crushed the thread on the right the one on the left got five times 10 times more distribution and engagement okay so what do i do i don't sit there and just go the one on the left's amazing and the one on the right sucks right i pull them up side by side and i go here are the differences here are the variable differences so if i want to reverse engineer success, if I want to replicate it again, I should pull out the variables that worked the first time and go, how do I do that again? Oh, my expert credibility, strong opinion, 10 titles, sure. Maybe I can keep the first two variables the same and change the number. Emoji, sure. Hey, it had a finger down emoji in it. So why don't I do that again? Because maybe that was part of it, right? The lead-in had four lines. Okay, sure. Let me try and do a four-line lead-in tweet again. You're always trying to, to engineer serendipity twice.
0: And I think this blows a lot of people's minds the first time they see it, thinking this is how granular you can get with being a data-driven writer. And this is your advantage. Once you see this and you say, hey, I'm, not, I'm no longer just putting things out there and guessing, I'm analyzing, I'm treating everything I put out as a science experiment. I'm gonna learn. That's how you don't spend five years where people are saying, hey, I've been writing for five years and no one's still reading. That just means you're ignoring the market, right? That literally means you're putting a product out there every single day and saying, "You, everyone who is buying and they're buying with their attention and time is wrong, right? Instead, every time you put something out, you can say, why didn't this person buy? And so yep. start treating your writing continually like a product and you're going to iterate and improve much faster.
1: And, and this, again, we've, we've talked about this in a couple different sessions, but what most people do is they write, they publish, and then whatever happens, they go, that was cool. And then they just leave it, right? They're like, oh, I, I went viral, cool. Or they go, oh, no one read my stuff, cool. That's not what I do. That's not what Dicky does. That's not what every creator that you see growing quickly does. What I do every single time I write something is I write, I publish. And then like three hours later, a day later, a week later, a month later, I look back at it and I'm like, what happened? Did readers like it? Didn't they like it? What questions did they ask? Is this something that I can replicate again? What did I do? How many lines did it have? Was it my opinion or was it someone else's opinion? Right? I'm looking for what are all the different variables I can extract and how can I do it again and again and again. So when you see a creator who's just like dropping hit after hit after hit, how are they doing that? It's because they've gone and they're like, well, this thing worked. I should probably do it again. And they just copy all the variables and they do it again. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. Go watch any Mr. Beast YouTube video. They all have the same headline style. They all have the same editing style. They all have this, right? What's he doing? I know this list of variables works. I'm going to do it again and again and again and again and again. Right? So that's, that's the
0: whole point of being a data-driven writer. All right. So what are some of the data points we can dig into? Actually, let's start. Have you looked at your content through a data-driven lens yet? Have you used any kind of, Hey, I'm, This got twice as much engagement as the one before. I'm gonna start writing about this topic and see what happens. I've been using it every day, but mine has been, instead of looking at likes or engagement, I've been almost exclusively listening to comments. What are people asking me? What do they actually have? I think people can, you can overcomplicate writing every day. It really comes down to answering questions every day. And people are gonna ask you a ton of questions, right? All you need is one for the next day. So that could be a conversation. That could be someone commenting on your post. That could be you seeing someone else ask a question totally unrelated to you, but you're going to go answer that the next day. So we're going to dig into all the different data points you can look at.
1: Yeah. And also, uh, Leonard, I see you asking this question in the chat and other people ask this question is, you know, they say, I have a small audience. I don't think my data is reliable how big of an audience is it then that it is reliable? Is it a thousand followers? Is it 10,000? The person who has 100,000 thinks 10,000 isn't reliable. And the person who has 10,000 thinks 1,000 isn't reliable. And the person who has 1,000 thinks 100 isn't reliable. The the brutally honest answer is the data is there, right? It's just, if the data is not telling you what you want it to tell you, it's much easier to go, the data is not reliable. Than it is to sit there and go, wait, what is the data trying to tell me? Right. So, this is, I was doing this on Quora when I had 27 followers. Literally, I was like, okay, I am not growing. What is the data telling me? As soon as I started listening to the data, even if it was, I wrote 10 things, they all got one like. Wait, this one got five likes. Why did that one get five times more? Right. That is worth paying attention to. That's not, Everything I write is low. That's I wrote lots of things at one and one thing had five X more engagement. Why did that happen? Right. That's, that's the important takeaway here.
0: It's also a chicken or egg problem, right? The idea that once I have a bigger audience, then the data will start making sense. The only way to build a bigger audience is to listen to the data of your super small audience. Right. You need to be able to say, Hey, I had three people reading. That's all. I had three. And I solved one of their problems and I knew that the internet scale guaranteed there are millions of other people just like that. So if you think you have too small of an audience, you are drastically underestimating the scale and leverage of the internet because you only need to solve one person's problem. And it's going, the algorithms are going to work for you full-time 24 seven to deliver that to the other people that would find it valuable.
1: Yeah. And also too, like I want to, I want to make this even more actionable in everyday life. If you go to your friend's house for dinner and there's four people around the dinner table and you tell a joke and one person laughs and the other two people say nothing and look at you like you're crazy, what's your takeaway? Is it a good joke? If you tell a story and the whole table stops eating and drinking and the other three people won't take their eyes off you and they're glued to you from the beginning to the end of your story, what's your takeaway? Is that a good, is that a good story? Right? The data exists everywhere. Like if you're having a conversation, if you're having coffee with one other person and you're telling a story and then halfway through their eyes glaze over and you realize they're checking their phone, they're looking at their watch and they're clearly disengaged is that a valuable story? Probably not. Or did you go on too long? Probably, right? These are all data points. And this is this is the thing that we want you to take away is that the whole point of being a writer is not for you to just write words. The whole point of you being a writer is to engage the reader, which means even if it's one person, one, not 100,000, one. That one person is going to give you feedback on what's working and what's not, right? So that's what we're, what we're driving home. So the question is, how do you do that? Okay, what do you pay attention to? And so these are the signals that are worth paying attention to, and each one is going to tell you a different story, okay? The way you interpret each signal is a little bit different. So let's walk through each one. There's five outside of yourself, outside of your writing that you want to pay attention to. You have views, you have likes, comments, shares, and peer approval. Okay. Someone credible who goes, hey, a lot of other people didn't like that, but I did. And my opinion holds a lot of weight because I know this space, right? So each one is going to tell you something different. And it's important to understand what the differences are so that you, you don't, get confused about why something's working the way that it is, okay? So first is views. Views are purely a high level, are people looking at this or no? Think of it like which way the wind is blowing. Something can get a lot of views but have almost no engagement. That's okay, right? And so what does that tell you? That tells you, hey, this topic clearly it resonates with a lot of people, but doesn't have very much depth, right? So the, the, the analogy I like drawing is I've written articles that have gotten 5 million views, but every comment is like, great job, cool story, right? Very surface level. And then I've written other things that have gotten a thousand views, but every comment is like, this is insane. I've never thought about it like this before. I have a follow-up question. Can you please clarify XYZ? Two completely different types of content, right? And so it's not fair to judge everything purely on views. Views is just one thing to look at of like, what do people think is popular? High level.
0: And views are also a good bit out of your control where the algorithm can be totally responsible for how many people it's going to show it to, right? If you The algorithms in, are incentivized to show it to people who engage, right? So for the most part, these will line up. But every once in a while, it'll show it to a bunch of people who say, eh, I don't care, right? And they don't engage with it. So views are the easiest vanity metric to have. They're what everyone wants. But at the end of the day, they're not the thing that's going to drive long-term readers and it's not the big thing to focus on.
1: Yes. So was all, I was seeing a little bit of this in the chat. If you're someone who gets a ton of views, but the engagement is kind of surface level or minimal engagement, that means you're tapping into things that are popular, very general, very broad, but you don't have any real niche dominance. Right. And so Dickie and I talk about this all the time. There's other creators, there's other Twitter writers that grow way faster than we do. And, me six years ago was bothered by that. I'd be like, hey, why is that person growing so much faster than me? And then it took me a long time to realize, well, wait, they're growing very quickly from a views followers perspective, but like they have no niche and they have no products to sell and they have, n- they have no relationship with their readers. There's, there's no depth at all, right? So which one do you want? Do you want to be someone who gets a bunch of views and followers, but you have no depth and you have no niche and you have nothing that you can monetize? Do you just want popularity? Or are you willing to forego popularity, but go, man, my 5,000 followers in this niche, hyper engaged. And my 5,000 followers allow me to sell a niche product that generates me six figures a year. Which one do you want? They're two different things. And this is, and the problem is people look at it all and they go, well, I want the whole thing. No, 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 it doesn't really work like that. Which one do you want?
0: The value of having a deep, engaged, small following, I would do anything to get to relive that fun time. The very original Ship 30 cohort, I put a tweet out that said, who wants to write with me? I had 400, 500 followers at the time and I had a hundred people reply right that was a small community of people who i engaged with all the time talked to every day like the everyone wants the 50,000 100,000 200,000 followers until they get there and then it's wow you really loved those times where it was a really small community that helps it's fun and it's an iterative process right everyone if if you transport to 200,000 you'd have no clue how to continue delivering value to them how to manage notifications and messages and things at scale like that So I think everyone thinks, how do I get more followers? How do I get more followers? Focus on the followers you do have and incrementally building relationships with them. That is what is going to compound way faster, right? Everyone who is getting to this 150, 200,000 followers before they've sold anything to anyone or have a, a, a known niche, they're waking up every morning like, if I don't keep talking about these things that led to all these followers, no one's going to engage with, anything I, I do. So mm-hmm. then they're stuck in a, in like the worst place to be where they have a big following, but no way to deliver actual value to that following. So everyone's looking around, like, why am I actually following this person? I'm not sure. Versus something you build over time, which is much more powerful. Yes. Yeah,
1: it is. It's the most like upside down thinking. And it's, it's hard. Like I get the allure. Like I get how easy it is to look around at everyone else and go, I want the big shiny object, but there is so much more potential in being niche and specific and building relationships with your readers. So then the next, uh, I, I'd say it's still a surface level metric, but it at least shows one level of engagement, which is likes. So you have to think in a very basic way, an impression or a view is like someone's scrolling and they pause and they look at it and then they keep going, right? It's just, I looked at it for half a second. It's a very surface level metric. Likes is the first thing that someone can do to take an action, right? It makes the reader go, I liked this enough to want to hit a button, right? So, So there's a different level of engagement there. So for me, if I'm thinking through like, what are things that I can double down on? I don't usually just look at views, I actually look at likes because likes is kind of a good blend between it's not fully surface level views, but it's not full blown engagement, niche comments and and deeper relationships. Likes is the bridge between where it's like, I'm interested enough, but I kind of maybe maybe there needs to be more here. So likes can be a really nice metric to pay attention to there.
0: Yeah. Likes to me are, I, this was interesting. I'll give you a little bit of dopamine back because you gave me some, Mm -hmm. right? But it didn't move me. It didn't, it didn't get me out of my seat. It didn't inspire me in some way. It didn't say, Hey, now I have a follow-up question. I'm not sending this around to my friends. Right. But it's, it's a decent metric of, if it's shown to a lot of people and there are a lot of impressions, but there are also a lot of likes. You probably said something that made someone feel good, right? I think there's a lot of content out there now where you can optimize for likes because it's going to make people feel good, right? It's a platitude or something that when they read, it feels like they're kind of moving the needle forward. I'm writing about this right now of, but it didn't, it didn't get them to do anything. It didn't get them to take action. It didn't get them to think or ask a question. And that is what, our next metric does a better job of kind of gathering.
1: Yeah. So then third is the, the comments. And comments are, are an interesting data point because a comment is really like the most value of a comment is when it starts or it shows you the direction of the next thing that you can write. So when you write something and someone comments a question, do not ignore that right? Because what is that? That's the reader saying, Hey, I really liked this thing that you wrote, but I wish that you would have included this, right? Can you answer this additional question for me? And you can't, don't just look at that and gloss over that, right? That is the, that is your ideal reader saying, excuse me, I have an idea. I would love it if the next thing you wrote was this. Okay. Okay. So then let's just pull back. So think of all the mornings that you wake up and you go, I don't know what to write about. And here you have your ideal reader raising their hand going, I am begging you to write about this thing. And it's like, you're, it's like, you're looking at them, but you're looking right through them. And you're like, man, I just can't come up with a single thing to write about today. It's crazy. I've got no inspiration. The reader's begging you, please, please, please write about this thing. This is what writers do all the time. They have their readers literally sitting there being like, I'm asking for the next thing. And the writer goes, boy, can't think of a single thing to write about. And that is the biggest missed opportunity on the internet. Okay. And we can take it one step further. So you're sitting there and you go, well, no, one's asking me questions on my own content. Okay. Where else can you get questions? Maybe you look at another writer or another creator who writes about kind of similar crossover things as you, and you go into their comment section and you see readers asking them questions. Why can't you be the one to answer those questions, right? Because you're both writing about kind of similar things. Why can't you feed the reader's desire? The answers are all around you, right? You just have to listen to them. And when you do, all of a sudden the data's like, if you do this, it will work. Right. But so many writers are like, boy, my, my, data just isn't saying anything to me. I don't know. I don't know what to write about.
0: That's a really cool idea, Cole. I should actually go through your comments of what people have been writing on your recent threads and say, well, how can I answer them? Right. Cause you can't get to all of them, but this is the exact strategy I've done this entire cohort. If you go, I'm, Every time I write something, I spend five minutes afterwards, about an hour after I post it and say, what did people ask me? And how can I just go answer that? It's so much easier when you're answering a question that they're the, the market is begging for. Now, a lot of people would say, why am I going to go answer one person's question? Isn't that a waste of time? It's just one person. But again, that means you are underestimating the scale of the internet. Because if someone commented it, they are not the only one with that question, right? Yes. They might be the only person in your audience with it, but I guarantee they are not the only person on the internet with that question, right? And so it's worth your time. And that's why we write every day is because you're able to create these feedback loops where, hey, if you go answer that person's question the next day and then they ask another one and then they ask three more the next three days and then you have seven days of content, you just had a mini ebook. Yep. You have an outline for a course. You just answered seven questions that were probably about a specific problem that now you could package up into a course and a product and sell forever in seven days, right? But everyone, it's so simple, it's complicated, right? Yes. But if you are just answering questions, what is a course? What is an ebook? It's a packaged up answer to a lot of questions, simply. It's a packaged up solution to a problem. And the only way you do that is responding to these comments and questions.
1: Yes. So even though you might not, you know, you might write something that gets a good amount of views, a good amount of likes, and then you get three comments and all three of those comments are questions. Those three questions are more valuable to you than the 10,000 views and the hundred plus likes those three questions, because those three questions are telling you they're, they're the true answer, Right. The views are a directional answer. The likes are a directional answer. Hey, this is working in this direction. Hey, you should keep going north, right? The comments are a specific, like, if you turn right on this street, I will be there waiting for you, right? That's what a comment is. You want the true answer, okay? So when a reader gives you that, don't skip over it. You got to listen to it, okay? The next most valuable metric, and and this is one I pay very close attention to, Dickie pays close attention to, is a share. So think of a share as like a passive comment. And and Twitter has a cool function where where it has the quote tweet, right? So you can retweet, which is just, I just want to share it. And then you have the quote tweet, which is, I want to comment and share it, right? And a quote tweet to me on Twitter, and you see this on LinkedIn, if I want to share a post, right? I'm sharing it and I'm commenting on the share as I'm doing it. This is like the Holy grail because the person goes, I want to give you my thoughts on it. Maybe I ask a follow-up question. Maybe I just say how, how valuable this was for me. Maybe I point out, you're like, Hey, in this list of 10 things, number four blew my mind. That's not just some person going number four blew my mind. That's someone going that thing that you wrote number four, That thing you should write more about. That's what the reader's saying to you. And then on top of it, they're sharing it, which means they want it to represent themselves. It's an identity thing. They're like, this was so good that I want other people to see that I'm associated with it. So comments and shares are 10 times more valuable than impressions, views, and likes. Because again, those are directional and these are specific.
0: I think you said this last cohort, Cole, but when you share something, it's, I wish I wrote this. Yes. Right. I wish I wrote this, or this was said in a way that I resonated so heavily with, I want this to be associated with me in some way. Right. And so that is the goal above all of these metrics. The goal is to write something that people share in a group chat. I had a message today from someone I knew in high school. I haven't talked to them in five, six years. And no, probably longer, probably about 10 years. And they sent me a text with a screenshot of their group chat of 25 people. And someone, they didn't know who I was. And they shared my pinned Twitter thread of 17 inconvenient truths that I don't want to forget. And that to me was like, holy crap, that was one of the coolest things to happen to me in a long time. Someone who doesn't know took something I wrote and sent it to 25 people saying, hey, everyone, you guys should read this. Yeah. That is the goal with every single thing you write. If you, I, I've seen it called the screenshot test, which is, hey, if you put out a tweet or an atomic essay, are someone is someone gonna screenshot this and send it to their group chat, right? If you can keep that in mind of think of, So if you write about photography, picture the photography group chat, right? Seven people who all love photography. Are they going to share what you're writing because it's that helpful or that inspirational or that breakdown worthy, right? That is what you're going for. Not, hey, how can I get this to go viral on Twitter? Right. Because you know what happens if the people in that group chat who just read my Inconvenient Truth thread, if I write anything else... They're going to read it, right? Because they their first exposure to me was one of the most popular things I've ever, I've ever written, right? I now have lifelong readers because it resonated with them. That's what you're going for.
1: Yeah, this metric is a really fun one to pay attention to. I love, uh, yeah, I, I call it the screenshot test because it's like, if if someone's willing to take a screenshot of it and share it, that means you've achieved a pretty high level of value. And that's what you're going for versus I just wrote a thread. Why is, why is the whole world not giving me attention? Right. It's not about that. And then the fifth is this is, it's a bit more subjective, right? But, but to me, there's an opportunity here of things to pay attention to when you see someone that is a leader in your industry or someone you respect or someone whose work you respect, and they, they share your, your work, or they give it a like, or they comment on it, right? It's worth paying attention to that because sometimes you have things that don't really achieve any meaningful level of popularity. Maybe they don't even like really catch within your niche, but someone you really respect goes, hey, this was awesome, All right? I, I found this really interesting. Thanks for writing it, All right? That, that is a great credibility signal for you to remember, and for you to go, okay, you know what, maybe I'm onto something because this person I respect is really is validating that for me. So whenever you see that happen, it's also worth pausing and not just going like, wow, this person retweeted my stuff, right? It's like, why did they? What was the thing that you created? What did you write that warranted that? And how can you do that again and again and again?
0: Yeah. The I mean, I send everything I write to Cole. He sends everything he writes to me, but every once in a while, Will say something like, dude, this was like, you gotta go double down on this. And I take that as like the ultimate signal, right? If, if you, if someone that you greatly respect reads something you write and says, dude, or whatever girls call each other, right? Girl, <laughs> yeah, you gotta write about this and double down on it. That's a very good signal to, to double down on.
1: Yeah. So of these, Which of the data points have you been paying attention to in the past? And is it has this changed your mind? You know, have you been like, wow, I've been looking at views and I realized that that was the wrong thing to pay attention to, you know, how, how is this hitting you?
0: Comments, engagement, views, likes, comments, likes, comments, definitely addicted to likes happens. It's, it's easy to, it's, it's easy to wake up and say, how can I write something that goes viral today? This cohort, I've been specifically writing things that I knew right when I posted them were not going to go viral. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a little uncomfortable sometimes when I've written things that have 10, 20, 30,000 likes. And I'm like, nah, I think even with a big following, I think this will get a couple hundred, right? Because I know of the people that are following me, one, it's not something that is so surface level that it leads to infinite sharing or infinite engagement, right? But the depth of the engagements I'm getting are so much better than things in the past. And that's what I'm going for, right? People are reading my essays and say, and like privately DMing me, hey, this was a really helpful framework for me. Thank you, mm-hmm. right? That to me is worth way more than hundreds of likes or whatever.
1: Yeah, we say this from experience. I spent the first six years of writing on the internet completely focused on views. As a result, I accumulated over 100 million views. Does anyone want to guess what those 100 million views did for me? Like, literally nothing. They made me zero money. They didn't, I, I made my money by, serv- by providing a service and ghostwriting. The views were all just vanity. And every comment was like, this was cool. Right. It wasn't until I got off the views drip. And I was like, oh, wait, you know, views actually aren't really the thing that matter. And as soon as I started drilling into a niche called digital writing and was like, hey, I'm just going to speak to the people that are interested in this one thing. That's all of a sudden when so many other things got unlocked. Right. Views are. Everybody wants them, but like, what do they really do for you? Not much. So real quick, we're going to try and get through this in the next 10 minutes is, okay, so now you go through your analytics and you see a data point. You see something that's like, okay, clearly this is working. Now, how do you turn one idea into a hundred ideas just like it? All right. So here's what you can do. You can go inside your typeshare analytics and you can sort by, so here it's sorted by views. You can sort by likes, you can sort by comments. You can sort by whatever metric you want to pay attention to, okay? And you can pull from different things. Sometimes I'll take something that got a ton of views and I go, okay, how do I drill deeper into that? How do I take a views topic and create an even more valuable resource that maybe prompts comments? You know, how do I get people to ask me more questions? And what you're going to do is you're going to take something and go, all right, well, how do I write about that again? Okay, so this is a great example of, it's almost the same idea twice. So Dickie's tweet on the left, the world's most valuable skill writing effectively, but colleges charge you 120,000 and still do a terrible job teaching it. Here are nine writing frameworks that cost you nothing and will save you hundreds of hours, okay? The one on the right is college completely failed me, completely failed in teaching me how to write. So I spent over 500 hours studying legendary authors and copywriters. Then I distilled what I learned into six simple frameworks. But unlike college, those won't cost you 120,000. Here they are for free. Do we notice the variable similarities? Right, where both both tweets blame college. Both tweets use the number 120,000. Both tweets say here are important frameworks you should know. The one on the left is nine frameworks. The one on the right is six frameworks. Right. And both Dickie, I think the, both of them are curating. They're not your own frameworks, right? They're curating other people's frameworks.
0: No, both of these were actually thread of threads, all of my own threads.
1: Okay, cool. So yeah. So thread of threads, you're just curating all these other things that you wrote, right? So what is that? It's like, okay, this batch of variables works. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Right. And this is the whole game. Most people think that you have to be this like genius writer that comes up with a million unique ideas. Tim Ferriss's entire career is based on one book, four hour work week. And everything he did after was like, hey, here's how to do more with less time. One idea over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again.
0: I'm about due for another one of these. <laughs> I did <it> in June, <laughs> I did it in September. I probably skipped January and now it's May. So if you see me blaming college on not writing and something working, it's because this works, right? It's not rocket science. You find something yeah. that works and then you double down. I think I'm writing about this right now. It's part of once you niche down it's and talk about a specific topic. You're not coming up with new ideas. You're simply finding new ways to say the same idea. That's what the game becomes. It's how do I take this one idea that college failed people to write? And here's what, how you should learn to write instead. That's the core idea here, right? I went to college. It didn't help me write. So I had to learn it on my own. Here's how I did it. That's the core idea. How do I say that in a thousand different ways, a thousand different times? That's and there's nothing
1: beat. wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Like a lot of people look at that and go, well, I said it once. I shouldn't say it again. No, you should do the opposite. You should say it a thousand times. You should say it so many times that that's the only thing people think about when they think of you, right? That is the whole game. So here's another example. I wrote a bunch of 101 threads. So a bunch of like something writing 101. And these are all different things that have to do with writing, right? Freelance writing, medium writing, self-publishing writing. These are all just different variations of writing. And I wrote a bunch of them and I was getting a little bit Uh, like a little bit increased engagement, you know, each one would perform a little bit better than the others. And then I wrote this ghostwriting 101 thread and it blew up. At the time it was my biggest thread. And I was like, okay, really interesting. What are the variables that made this thread go? Okay. It's something writing 101. It's credibility. I've written for 300 plus executives and startup founders and all this stuff. And by the way, here's templates. Here's how to do the thing that I've done. Those are the three big variables. Okay? And so then I just go, let me repeat it. So what's the freelance writing? Personal credibility, writing something 101. Here's my guide for doing it. Then what's the medium one? Personal credibility has to do with writing 101. Here's the guide for doing it. Right? And over and over again, I would just repeat those variables and I would just go down the list, right? So, how can I do that again? How can I do that again? How can I do that again? And all of a sudden, now I have an entire library of writing 101 threads covering all these different niches. So, what is that? That's a thread of threads. That's an ebook. That's a whole course. Each one of these threads could be individual books or courses right? So look at the amount of data. It's like a snowball effect. It's like once you, once you start going down the hill, all of a sudden you have this giant snowball of data. You can use it a million different ways.
0: Yeah. And you'll be able to post it on other platforms. You'll be able to turn it into long form. I think a 101 across the board of digital writing 101 is another product idea we should add to our never ending list, Cole.
1: Yeah. Burden of opportunity.
0: All right. So other things you can repeat, what do you think on on this one?
1: So this is, this is what we want you to walk away with is every time you write something, you want to ask yourself, can I, can I repeat this category? Right. Oh, I wrote, I wrote about, you know, working from home that worked. How can I write about working from home again? Right. You want to repeat the category. You want to repeat the topic over and over and over again just through different lenses, right? So for me, oh, people want to read about writing? Here's writing on Medium, writing on Quora, writing on LinkedIn, writing on Twitter, self-publishing, right, just all the different things that fall under that umbrella, okay? So repeat the category. Number two, the story. When I was 17 years old, I was one of the highest ranked World of Warcraft players in North America. I have used that sentence a thousand times, a thousand. Over and over and over again. You have an interesting story. It's like, I, I was working with one guy a couple of years ago. He's like, you know, when I was 22 years old, I almost died on the highway uh, the same day I started my business. Use that sentence over and over and over and over and over again, right? When you see a story that works, repeat it, repeat it. Right now, Dickie's going through this. Dicky, your story right now is, you know, six months ago, I was terrified to quit my job Yeah, over and over and over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, no, it's six weeks ago. I quit my full-time job X talk about literally anything. And someone's probably going to read it, right? Yep. I found a repeatable thing talking about my first 12 weeks without a full-time job. I'm writing up a longer form post on the things I've learned and reflecting and all that. And you know what it's going to start with? 12 weeks ago, I quit my full-time job. Yep. It's a single first sentence, right? And so that is, it's freeing. It's actually very freeing to, to realize you can repeat yourself. And once you get over the other side of, I can't repeat myself because then someone's going to comment. You've said this before. I've read this before. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen. You know how many times someone has, has said that to me? Zero, zero. And it's a it's a fear. It's a it's a self limiting belief, right? Of I can't do this because if someone I'll, I, someone's gonna expose me as a, a repeater fraud, right? So I can't say things again. That is a belief that once you break, is very freeing. Yep. Because you're going to have to repeat yourself. You think Ryan Holiday wakes up today like you know? If I say Marcus Aurelius today, someone's gonna call me out. <laughs> I. I, I can't. I can't go on there, right? No. He, he goes on conference and says, here's what Marcus Aurelius said. He says that's, it a hundred times. He gets on there and just bangs out, Marcus Aurelius said X, Y, and Z. Right? Yeah. But- and that's why we know him, and that's why he's had success. I'm going to go tweet right now, hey, you should write every day, because I say that a lot, and I haven't mm-hmm. said it enough recently. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, this is, this is the biggest uh, like mental flip that it takes people a long time to learn is like writing is not about saying it once. Writing is about becoming known for a niche you own because you say the same valuable thing so many times that people can't, they can't disassociate you from it, right? Another thing you can repeat is the format. So when I wrote that Twitter thread of, hey, I've read all these books, 99% of them were a waste of time, you should read these 10. I'm going to copy that format till the cows come home, right? Over and over and over again. Hey, I watched all these YouTube videos, 99% were a waste of time, you should watch these seven. Hey, I read these all these sci-fi books, 99% were a waste of time, you should read these five. Hey, I visited all these states, 99% of them were a waste of time, you should really only visit these three the same format right and you can do it over and over and over again so we have a lot of these formats inside type if you want to play with them but when you find a format that works oh my gosh do it over and over and over again right and then the same thing the same content for a different audience so this is one of my favorite ones is where you go hey uh here's how to be a or here's how to write a book as a writer Also, here's how to write a book as a busy executive. Also, here's how to write a book as a stay at home mom. Also, here's how to write a book as a busy college kid, right? It's the same content geared toward a different audience. And that is another really valuable way where you can take the same idea, but change who it's for, right? And all of a sudden you go, well, I went from having one idea to now I have 20 different types of audiences. I can speak to now I have 20 ideas right? Super valuable framework. So here's what we're going to do in the, in breakout rooms. You're going to look at, so pull up your analytics, use type share. You can use any other platform that you like using and just look at sort by, you know, what has the most views, likes, comments, shares, what, what's getting attention where. Okay. And then kind of just open the discussion and go, why, why do you think that happened? Start to hypothesize, you know, did did something get a lot of views because it was in a big, broad uh, category topic? Did something get a lot of questions because you were drilling into a niche? This is what we want to foster. We want to foster the active thinking, the active conversation of why do we think something worked? And it doesn't have to be completely objectively true. What matters is that you're asking the questions.